Welcome to Week Question and Learn. This is Tom Pies. We're celebrating our 15th year, and um, over the year we've had some very, very special guests. Today we have the County Executive, Kathy Dahlkamper. Welcome. Thanks, to WQLN. And You've been here many times. And happy anniversary, 15 oh, years. Yeah, 15 uh, years it's July, really yeah. quite a run for you, and it, that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, it, it was, it, it's fun because we, we, we're honored uh, to have folks like you. And uh, your job is, um, to me, a very difficult job because you have a, a bigger picture. It's, the city is great. Everything the city is doing is fine. You can see visible, huge visible changes in the mm -hmm. city. But the city is part of the county. Yes, it is. And the county is your responsibility. Now, you had two years in Congress. That was 2010 10, to 2009. 2009 and 11. 2009 oh, 10. 2009 yes, and 2010. <laughs> yeah, they were. And then you had a little hiatus in between. Mm -hmm. And this is your second term. You're in your second term. In my January. sixth year now as county executive. Where does the time go? I know. It flies. Yeah. And it's amazing to think... Um, that it was actually 12 years ago when I was first running for office for the first time in my life. Uh, yeah. Well, since I ran for student council. But <laughs> so, well, you know that counts. <laughs> yeah, right. So these past 12 years have just been an amazing So when you ran for, for county executive, what, what possessed you, if I could put it that way? Or what was your ambition? Well, what were your goals uh, when going back six years now? Right, right. right. Yeah. You know, I, I've always loved this community. And what I found when I was in Congress was, um, and you, you hate to say you have a favorite child, and I had seven counties to take care of, but um, yeah. Erie County was the favorite child. Yeah. And what I saw, there's just so much potential in this community. It was unrealized, and I think all of us were feeling that way. And I thought, is there a way for me to help affect the positive change that needs to happen here? And I, I actually looked at uh, both the, uh, the mayor of the city of Erie position, and I looked at the county executive position, and I decided... Yeah that the county work really um, was more uh, the things that I cared deeply about. So um, that's why I decided to run for the county executive position and, you know, came in really wanting to, to help make these changes to help move this community to the place it needs to be. What I enjoy about talking with you and then looking at the paperwork about you, you create a business plan mm -hmm. and you have actually bullet points that are critical to you. They really are, and yes. And they're important. Now, I have them listed, but I'm going to ask you one at a time, and if you care to address these so that the audience understands. Uh, now, that was January. This is already uh, a few months later, but I'm sure uh, you've been working on this since you were in office. These are your core ideas? Yes. Most, most right? of these have to do with the core ideas that I came in with. That you came in with. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, you actually have 10. We'll, we'll try to get as many okay. as we can, but... Um, one of the things, uh, the Public Health Focus Blue Zones Project, can you explain how that works? Actually, tell folks what it is for folks who are not aware. Sure. So um, this is, to me, one of the most exciting things uh, that my administration has led uh, in this community, and I think it can be one of the most impactful as we see it um, kind of unfold over the next few years. So blue zones are the places in the world where people live the longest and the healthiest. Uh, many, many people living to be 100 years old in these communities and, and being very healthy. They're not living in nursing homes. They're out and active and healthy. And there's, they found these places in the world. Uh, there's five of them. And they, then they looked at what was 
this, what was similar in each of these areas. And they came up with basically nine points. And one is to move naturally. These people are not going to the gym. They're not, you know, power lifters. But they're moving yeah. naturally. They're out. They're walking. They're biking. They're gardening. They're, their daily lives have them out and moving. Another is that they have a plant slant diet. They're not vegetarians uh, per se. Maybe some are. But, but their diet is much more plant-based than it is animal-based. Um, a key thing is that they all have a purpose. And, you know, we know that in Erie County, one out of 10 people actually wake up in the morning with no purpose. They don't really know why they're getting out of bed. So you, you need to have a purpose in your life throughout your entire life. Um, and I think particularly maybe as people age, they don't really know what that purpose is once they've retired. And so having that purpose is important. Um, they have an 80% rule where they only eat till they're about 80% full and then they walk away from the table, which is wise for all of us. What's key also is they have a, play, a way to downshift, um, whether it be through meditation or some other practice that kind of helps them to just downshift and reduce the stress in their life. And we know that that is so important. Family is first to them. They're very connected to family. And I think we all know the benefits of that. And then they also have a group of people that they belong to, friendships, um, different social groups that support them in their lives. And, and we all know how important that is. And yet we also know that that is becoming uh, less and less common for all people. And then... Um, they also, one of the other ones that I love is a little wine at five. Yeah. All, these all these groups we're drink in the best community a, a little that. bit of wine. I mean, they weren't drinking excessive amounts, but they were drinking a whole bunch of vintage. Lot. Very so, happy. Um, and then the last thing is most of them had some kind of a faith uh, connection. Yeah. They belong, and it's changed, you know, it could be because these places were everywhere from Japan to Loma Linda, California to um, uh, the Greek, one of the Greek islands, but so they weren't all the same faith, but they all were connected to some sort of faith expression. Um, so anyway, Blue Zones, this group, um, was asked by AARP about 12 or 13 years ago, can you recreate these kind of communities in the United States? Mm -hmm. So they began doing this in a place called Albert Lee, Minnesota. And since then, they've been into about 50 communities across the United States. And so they really are the gold standard. They are really moving the needle when it comes to community health and wellness um, in these communities that they've gone into. So we are trying to bring them into Erie County to see if we could create a blue zone community here and we landed on Corey. so Corey really? is going to be really the leader i think in erie county and what we'd like to do eventually is have it throughout the county but Corey is the community where blue zones is going to be implemented so since um early this year since about january they've been having all sorts of community meetings um they've uh had the experts come from the blue zone uh, team mm -hmm. they've done walking tours and lots of listening. And then the community itself has put together what they call their blueprint. And um, once all of this gets ironed out next month in uh, June, they're going to actually have their kickoff. And then for three mm -hmm. years, it'll be very intensive. Uh, Blue Zones team will be working with the community of Cory to really make them a community where people can like live the longest and the healthiest. Is this a, a nonprofit organization? No, they are Is it a government. They are a for-profit, and oh, okay. we are not using uh, taxpayer dollars to, to do, do this. So I think people need to understand that. Yeah. So um, we actually got sponsors, and the sponsors are um, Highmark Allegheny Health Network, uh, UPMC, Wonderful. and LeCom. Which makes sense because these are the people responsible for our health and wellness uh, from a medical standpoint and um, also our, insure, our main insurers in this region. And so um, those three have uh, generously 
become the major sponsors of this program. And um, I'm excited to see the results of this. I can tell you I was in Fort Worth, Texas uh, for a wedding in the fall, and I went out and I met with their Blue Zone coordinator down there because that's the largest city in the country to do this. Um, the results have been staggering. I mean, just take smoking rates. They've dropped them 38%. That's unheard of anymore. And uh, just their sense of purpose and their community pride. And this man uh, that I sat down with was going on and on about just the positive changes that have happened. And one of the really exciting things about Cory is the first community in the Northeast. Um, really east of the Mississippi, the only communities are a couple in Florida. Right. And so we are kind of leading the way when it comes to the Northeast in, in terms of trying to move this program forward. So what are the logistics? I know we have other things to cover, but quickly, how does sure. this get organized? It's just So there's there's three people who are hired by Blue Zone to every day be in Cory working with this. Every day. Every day. They work with um, the school districts. They work with restaurants. They work with grocery stores. They work with faith organizations. They'll do purpose workshops, going back to that sense of purpose. Yeah, yeah. They'll do them in the schools, and they'll do them with citizens in the general community. They'll work with a... Uh, this is a great example. When you go to a restaurant and you sit down and you order a sandwich, they usually either give you fries or chips. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you don't want those, you have to say, could I have a salad instead or could I have fruit instead? Yeah. Well, they try to get restaurants to do the opposite. So the default is the healthy. Oh, so wonderful. when you order your sandwich, it would come with maybe salad or fruit. If you want your fries or chips, you just have to ask for them. So what they try to do is, is make the healthy choice the easy choice. They're working with the city of Cory to create more bike and walk and parks and walkways and parks, things that people can get out and be active. And again, that natural movement, you know, um, they do these things called walking school buses, which I find fascinating. A lot of times our oh. students aren't walking anymore. I mean, I think yeah. we're down to about 10% of the students in the country walking to school. And back in the day, it used to be 90%. So um, they... This helps with the sense of purpose, too. So maybe they find a retired person who gets up in the morning, goes outside, knocks on the first door, gets Johnny, walks a few blocks, a few doors further and picks up yeah. Susie. And then eventually they have a whole busload walking <laughs> yeah, yeah. to school. And then when they get to the school, they do a little bit of exercise. They do a little bit of meditation, maybe a little bit of yoga. And the kids, they say, come to school completely in a different mindset, ready to learn, just by moving their bodies a little bit and getting their minds in the right places. So those are some of the things that Blue Zones will be doing in Cory, and uh, I'm excited to see the results. You picked a good community. We did in our town, WQL TV did in our town, Cory. The folks there are motivated. They're highly educated folks. Mm -hmm. They have economic development at heart, industrial development at heart. I'm preaching to the choir. No, they really. You, but I think people in Erie need to take a ride down there. Those folks are doing incredible things. They are. There's they a are. lot going on in Cory right now. Yeah. I mean, they're Main Street. There's some uh, stores that just turned Main Street around. There's some great stores. There's a great little um, yep. children's uh, dress <laughs> shop that yeah. I go down there and buy things for my granddaughters. <laughs> but, you know, uh, take a trip to Cory if you but are listening. And, folks are, and get out there and see. It's a populated chamber. They're all involved. Yeah, go down yeah. in there and see what's going on in Cory and watch it over the next yeah. few years. They're going to see some transformation. Well, let's go to technology, which is near and dear to my heart anyway. The uh, the public safety radio system, it's the next generation mm -hmm. technology. Are those those little towers with the white flying saucer discs? Well, they're the big top? towers, actually. They're big towers. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're big. 100 and some feet high, yeah, they usually. Are. So what happened is when – and this happened as I was running for this position, um, you know, over six years ago. Uh -huh. um, the public safety – community, you know, so these are our firefighters and our EMTs and such, 
were coming up to me and saying, our radio system is dangerous. We cannot talk to each other uh, from one uh, agency to another. Uh, this has been going on since the tornadoes of Albion in 1985. And then, of course, after 9-11, it was a national conversation about our radio systems and how our first responders need to talk to each other. So I said this is a priority. This is a number one priority when I come in, came into office. Uh, John Grappy, who's my director of public safety, I have to give him a lot of credit. Um, he helped to truly bring all the public safety community together around one system. They all had many different systems on different frequencies, and I've learned a lot more about um, <laughs> radio systems than I ever thought I would. But um, that took a lot of meetings. We had For the first year, it was just a lot of meetings with people and listening to them and getting ideas. Um, we were able then to secure the funding through county council, uh, actually one of the largest investments the county government has ever made in anything. Really? It's $26 million uh, investment into this uh, system. And uh, the way I always look at it is what does a life What's a life worth? And what's all yeah. of our lives worth? Yeah. So um, this system will go live here in the summertime. And, this um, year? This year. We have been working on this since I got into office, basically. But yeah. um, the project's about a year or so behind where we thought it would be. But there was all sorts of things that happened. Um, the FEC licenses with Canada, you don't realize how complex those are, but oh, because yeah, we we're do. so close. Yeah. You do here, yeah, we do but here. most of <laughs> the citizens don't. When yeah, you're so yeah. close to the, we wanted right. to make sure we had good coverage along the lake, which everyone right. knows is actually always an issue for us when yes. you have a cell phone, for example. Yes. So we want to make sure our first responders, if they're on Presque Isle or if they're just trying to do a rescue off the water, has as good a coverage as the uh you know, the first responder in the middle of the city of Erie or in some of our rural areas. And so we have a guarantee of 95% of the coverage, 95% of the time. And, uh, and they hope to make it better than that. And we assume it'll be better than that. But that's a system that we are all going to be proud of. Um, and the first responders are thrilled. For years, as we were going through this, many of them really didn't believe we'd ever truly right. get it done and make it happen. But in, it's happening. In other words, it's like a giant digital interconnecting yeah so we have a number, these towers and there's microwave systems on the towers and, and they're all redundant police, if one goes down it medical, switches yeah. the other way so this is and then the county decided part of the cost was the county decided to give everyone all their equipment the first out of the gate oh, wow. so we're providing the radios the handhelds the portables to all this would be all police departments including our university police departments this would include all of our firefighters whether they're paid or they are volunteer, volunteer. this oh. includes our first responders uh, in terms of ambulance um, so all of those people in that public safety arena will all including be on the, the same channels well if you know for some of their uh, police their well, the people who are driving the ambulances, for sure. Okay. And then yeah. others will have radios that can connect in. But this is an example. Um, a few years ago, there was a terrible fire on Lighthouse Street in Erie, and three houses burnt down, and I believe one person died in those fires. Mm. So they asked Lawrence Park to come in as mutual aid, which often happens in a big fire. But the city of Erie Fire couldn't talk to the Lawrence Park fire. Oh. So they basically had to run up the street to tell them that they needed more water. And... I mean, that's just a, a little example, but that was happening all the time. And so when you're in that moment of greatest need, you want people mm -hmm. to be able to respond as quick as they can. And if we had a really large disaster in our community, as we've seen in other places across the country, you know, you would want everyone to be able to talk to each other. And that's what's going to happen. And are we one of few or is We'll this have prolific? probably the best system in, in Pennsylvania when we get done. Right? Um, state of the art. And uh, we'll be leading the nation in terms of uh, 
this system. And yeah. other communities are going this way also, but, you know, we just are a little bit ahead of the game. So if you had something severe like a tornado again or a exactly. school fire or something more critical exactly. or a hospital emergency that's... I mean, police can't talk to fire. I mean, it's, it's dangerous. Uh, there was uh, an incident a few years ago in McDowell High School. School's out, oh. but somebody was setting fires in the school. And so they brought the firemen in first, but then they realized this person was still in the school, so now the policemen were in the school. Well, the policemen couldn't talk to the firemen. That's a dangerous situation Absolutely. as they're trying to fight fires and policemen are in there with guns. So again, we've got to make sure everyone can talk to each other. I, I think if people look this project up online, it's, it's ideal. And we're one of the first with one yes, of the best. And, and I'm yeah. very proud of what we're doing. And I think as you talk to the first responders, those people who are out there helping you every day, you'll, you'll hear from them. And everybody gets new equipment? Is that how Every entity every gets uh, a new handheld, new portables, new radios. And that unto itself is a huge value. It's about a $6 million value. That's incredible. That's impressive to have that technology here. Yes. That's great. That That's a great project. Um we go down to the library, uh-huh. seeing the Idea Lab. That is a lot of fun. That is a great idea. And as you were encouraging entrepreneurship in the community, tell us how this works. Well, um, I have to give credit to Mary Rennie, who was the oh, library yeah. director at the time. Yeah. And she, when I first came in, yeah. she had this idea and I and floated it by me. And I said, Mary, this is, sounds fantastic. Yeah. She said, libraries can't just be about collections. They've yeah. got to be about connecting the community and of course, libraries have always been about resource and getting the information you need. We know we have to build up our entrepreneurial community in Erie to be a successful community. And the universities are doing a great job with that, as are you know, many other um, entities in the innovation district, et cetera. And the library can be part of that. Uh, libraries are the great equalizer. I think everyone feels comfortable walking into the library, and certainly everyone is welcome, and it's free. So uh, Mary had this idea for the Idea Lab, and if you haven't been to the Blasco, get down there and check it out. Mm-hmm. You can go down there and utilize all sorts of equipment and take all sorts of classes. Um, we have 3D printers, so I've seen entrepreneurs in there doing a prototype of something that they want to make and they have an idea for. and. And the uh, resources in that library, the librarians that are in there, will help them do that. We have everything to, all the way to sewing machines and knitting needles. I mean, I, I <laughs> ran into a woman who was down there sewing one day, and she was laid off for a little while. And she said, this is my therapy. I come in here and I sew. I don't have a sewing machine at home, but I oh. love to sew. So she's using this equipment in the library as, until she gets back to work. And... Um, and then there's all sorts of classes. Like I said, you know, we have uh, classes for those entrepreneurs. But when they're ready... Then we say, look, now is the time for you to go up to the SBDC at Gannon. Or now is the time for you to go to Behrend and take this prototype and work with their engineering students to create your business. Now it's time to go to um, Edinburgh and get the marketing work that you need done. Because there's beehives, they call them beehives, in those four universities that are there to help the universities. And we consider us at the library to be the little beehive. We're the feeder into that larger beehive system because people who've never been, for example, to college, don't feel that comfortable walking onto a college campus and into those offices, but they feel comfortable coming to the library, they can get started there, and then we move them on to the resources. We're not replacing the resources that are already here. And then part of that Idea Lab, we also have a Media Lab, which is phenomenal. Okay. And that Media Lab has state-of-the-art equipment, just like you have here at QLN, and people can go down there and they can make their own podcast, they can do their own music video, they can, uh, anything that you need to do in a media lab, you have the resource free, 
to do it there mm. at the library. And young people, they're clever. They know oh. how to do this. They have no place to do it. Exactly. And this is a place where they can they go. Know. So this brings our library into the 21st century. It really does. Yeah. We've created a new teen space to give oh. our teens their oh. own space. Um, so if you are a teenager, um, you can go in and use this beautiful new space. And when we open it up, I told the teens, I said, I want you to realize how much we um, value you. Look at the real estate we give, gave you. And we gave them real estate on the first floor that looks right out over onto the flagship wow. Niagara. So yeah. it's a beautiful space for them. Yeah. But I do think that we have to encourage our teens to come and use the resources that we have at the library. Uh, another, that's a batch of outstanding projects. Yes, there's, and then there's just so much more going on at the library. We have a new library director who comes to us from the Library of Congress, retired oh, really? to Erie, saw the job <laughs> opening, Decided to jump back into the workforce, but brings with him a national uh, set of skills and knowledge and contacts. So I'm, he's only been with us a few weeks, but I'm excited to see what he's going to actually bring to enhance what Mary Rennie started. And the library truly is an important community asset. It it's certainly wonderful. is. Great job on that. Um, this is this is another tech. You've moved into all the technology areas. Uh, well, we're trying to get into uh, the technology before it becomes obsolete. Yeah, the uh, the library, the firefighters, our police, and our community servants all being technologically uh, enabled. The library being enabled. The data center now. This is the, how does this oh, work? Oh gosh, the data center is a phenomenal tool. Um, you're you're on the cutting edge again. You're you're growing something that other communities may not have. So, you know, James Grunke is the new head of the chamber. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. when he saw our data center that we were just creating when he came, he said, you have something that almost no community in the United States have, just a handful of communities have with this data center. Um, and it's going it's a great tool that our municipalities are using, the chamber is using, our private businesses are using, um, even to the point... Um, well, we're now working on some of the vital signs work that uh, has been being, you know, has been done by the Community Foundation. So it really, um, it's GIS work, which is, uh, you know, spatial work. We can make maps and layer on top of each other. Mm -hmm. But um, if you go on uh, the Erie County website to the planning department, or you can go on to Choose Erie, which is kind of an economic uh, tool to help people get into our community and find out about it, hit on the county data uh, center you can go on there and find out, for example, where vacant land is. You can find out where the schools are, the roads, the infrastructure. You can layer all these things together. It's a great economic development tool. And we also have uh, ways for us to gather all sorts of data. We want to look at um, you know, how many people are working in certain industries in our community. Uh, there's just an unbelievable amount of information that you can find from this data center. And um, some of this we're doing for fee-for-service. For example, you know, um, we have a couple partners, one of them being the city and one of them being the chamber. They've actually paid a fee to help keep this data center up and going so they can use this, like the, the more sophisticated parts of the tools where our employees are actually pulling this data out. And then we have some private industries who've come to us and say, you know, for a fee, would, would you pull this data together for us? Oh, yeah. And we can do that. And they can look at what the return on investment would be, for example, if they're going to build another facility. Absolutely. You yeah. could go on there if you want to even open up a coffee shop. You can go on there and see where oh, all the coffee shops are in Erie County, where your client, you know, and you want to make that coffee shop kind of uh, accessible to a certain demographic. You can find that too, and you can layer this all, and you can figure out exactly where to put your coffee shop in Erie County. 
pretty it's pretty uh, cool it's a, stuff. Is this a physical facility? Uh, well, like no. I mean, it's it's facility? housed at no. It's a, it's a virtual. It's housed it, at the Erie County Planning Department, and there's okay. a couple individuals who are running the data, yeah. or you know, but uh, you can do this from your computer at home. Right. So it's not like the library. You have to. Physically no, you don't go, go there. there. You just do it off your you computer. Do it at, oh. <laughs> so you you sit in the comfort well, of your own home and go this on. This has that. to be interesting to folks from out of town who want to come here. Well, so if you're a site selector, for example, yeah. Um, you will be able, and that's why we have this Choose Erie site. They can go on there. They would hit right onto the data center. They can start to find out, okay, does this community even have the kind of resource I need for this business that I'm looking to help find a new location for? And that's why this is so key that we have this information available. Before we run out of time, uh, broadband. Well, broadband. I mean, you go to Europe and you can, they have wireless uh, exactly. Wide area Wi-Fi, meaning they cover whole cities with Wi-Fi. One one tower. This country um, has really fallen behind in terms of you know being able to provide uh, the kind of high-speed internet access that everyone needs. In order, yeah. if you're a student, you need it. If you're going to have a business, you need it. And honestly, all of us, just as regular citizens, need it yeah. for all sorts of research that we're trying to do. So we um, um, have been trying to figure out how we can fund or how we can provide better service uh, to about 25% of our county who really doesn't have great access. And um, so we have a survey uh, that's going out, uh, broadband.eriecountypa.gov. And um, I would suggest anyone listening to this uh, who wants to put on there, like, what kind of service you have at your home. So we have some idea of uh, where particularly the bad service areas are in our region. I mean, we have a general map, but we'd like to get more granular on this. So my um, IT director, Eric Friedman, is heading up this project. And and then as money becomes available, which it is becoming available from both the state and federal government, we would know where more to target uh, any effort that we might be making. So again, that's broadband.eriecountypa.gov, brand new website up with Hmm. a survey on it that people can access to... um, to give us their information about their specific location where they're living at. And you're getting support from the community for all this, right? People have to be oh, excited about it. Well, this. people have been talking to us for a long time about how poor their service is and can't we as county government do yeah. something. And, of course, we know it's a very expensive fix, but um, we want to make sure that we're ready for any monies that are, are becoming available from the state and the feds. Particularly the feds are putting some serious money into broadband access. And we can take advantage of that. Money. Exactly. That's wonderful. Especially if we have the information, but we, we need the citizens to help us with that. We have a couple of minutes left. What What are your um, what do you, Where do you see the county next couple of years? What are your I was going to say What are your plans? This is embarrassing for me to have asked you that because <laughs> it, it's all right here, and these are incredibly these generate jobs. They do, and you know they, I'm yeah. very bullish on this community right now. Yeah. I, I see it every day, and not, I know not every person's feeling it yet, not every person's yeah. seeing it, but there's so much that's been going on. And what I really love and think is the probably the most impactful is that we are really coming together and working as one. We are going to Harrisburg, for example, with one voice when it comes to funding. What are our priorities in this community? I'm in so many meetings where it's the private sector with the government, with the nonprofit sector, all talking about the big issues, whether it's the Bayfront and better connection to the city at the Bayfront or whether it's some of these economic development issues that we're dealing with. Um, I also see that the good work that's started to happen in the city with their comprehensive planning and, and, and they're being much more targeted – that is really becoming the norm in some of our outer communities. Albion recently did a comprehensive plan 
very, very doable, implementable, comprehensive plan. They're starting to work on that. Green Township's now working on theirs. We already talked a little bit about Cory and the work being done in Cory, which is very um, exciting to see. So I only I see it not only in Erie City, but I see this. They were sort of like the stone thrown in the pond, yeah. and then it ripples out. Yeah. I see this uh, rippling out throughout our whole county, and I, I feel very confident that five years from now, we're going to look back and say, wow, things have changed quite dramatically for the better. And you work with all the municipalities. This is the one thing that people have complained over the We don't come together. We maybe should become a huge municipal. I don't know what happened with that argument. But you're doing this. Right. I don't know that there's the political will to become just yeah. one big municipal government. No, but government, you're doing but things together in a right. different way. We do it. Yeah. We're doing it through our planning department. We're doing it through yeah. our library. We're doing it through our public safety. Yeah. And I think that's the better way to do it is to say, yeah. how can we be a partner with all these communities? And we are sort of the one that brings them all together. And that's one of the things I think is my job is to convene, um, to bring, whether it's the municipalities at the table or to bring other entities to to the table as a county executive, that's something I'm able to do. And I think we're doing a pretty good job of that. I always regret saying we run out of time. (laughs) (laughs) It goes so quickly. You have an open invitation to come back to talk. Well, you've addressed five huge points here, six actually where we're going in in essence, and we we are grateful for your visit today. Well, thank you, Tom. It's always great to be with you and to talk about the exciting things happening in Erie County. Kathy Dahlkemper, our county executive, and uh, I'm allowed to say you're doing a great job. That's my (laughs) opinion. I'm allowed to have one, and I'm sure the the audience now appreciates some of the things that you're doing, and I'm glad they learned about something today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. On NPR News, it's all about the story. People can surprise you anytime. The people behind movies, books, and music. Music is like a Rorschach test, you know, and people hear what they want to hear. I'm Arun Roth, the new host of All Things Considered from NPR News, now coming to you every weekend from NPR West in Southern California. Sunday afternoon at 5 on WQLN Radio. This is Jeff Hanley, host of Jazz Happening Now. Each week we listen to some of the latest jazz recordings, and I think you'll be thrilled by what today's jazz musicians are doing and saying. The recording industry has changed, but the music is as alive and as vibrant as ever. The future of jazz is happening right now, if you just listen. And please do. Sunday night at 6 on WQLN Radio. Welcome to We Question and Learn. We've got uh, a couple of gentlemen that uh, kindly agreed to come up to the station to record this uh, program today. The executive director of Percy's House, Mark Amendola. Thanks good for having see us, you. Tom. This is good radio. Still good to see you. Yeah, absolutely. What a pleasure to have you here. And Dr. Nick Viglione, the chief educational officer. I like the CEO they put at the end of your name, and don't tell people that stands for educational. Well, um, you know, that's just one of okay? the okay. It's okay. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, and your responsibility is the charter school. So without messing up the hierarchy of the organization, I'm going to ask you both, 
how this works. And now sure. you're the executive director. Sure. So could you give sure. us the 50,000-foot view of Perseus House? There's two boards. There's two corporations, Perseus House, Inc., and then Perseus House Charter School of Excellence. Nick is over as the administrator for the Charter School of Excellence. Let me start with Perseus House, and then Nick will get into the charter school. Great. Uh, Perseus House has been around since 1971, started with a grant from the Vickery Foundation, and Steve McDermott, who was the um, initial, actually he developed the program, went to Erie County to the juvenile court and said, if, I, if we took these kids that were experiencing problems in the community, at school, at home, and gave them a home-like environment, could we change their behaviors? Could we help families? Could we help communities? And they, we still have the house on West 26th Street between um, Peach and Sassafras, and we have one of our actually one of our Medicaid programs are there. And they, and actually, Steve and his wife and his son lived in the house for a period of time with maybe six or seven clients, and um, and then they and then developed from that um, developed into more group homes. Um, we have properties now. Now we have 98 residential beds. Um, we have a property out in Spartansburg and Bloomfield Township. Has two on 10 acres. Has two 12-bed units. One is a juvenile delinquency program for uh, for females. The other is a Medicaid program, mental health, juvenile justice is that for females. No, that's no, a different that's a different, that's a different program, I, I and I'll explain that. Oh, that's okay. I'm sorry. And and then in Erie, where our main office is located at 1511 Peach Street, which are a central offices, uh, we have a 16-bed shelter that we provide for Erie County um, ch- child welfare and juvenile probation, and those and those are kids who um, are may or may not be have initially been moving into the system, but are either waiting adjudication, delinquent or neglected, and or waiting uh, for disposition, waiting to go someplace. We have a 12-bed male unit in that building that is a Medicaid um, reimbursed program. And when I say Medicaid, what that means is that has to be determined by a psychiatrist to be medically necessary, has to meet the Medicaid criteria for that. So there's 12 males in that program from all over the state of Pennsylvania. We have contracts with multiple counties, um, MCOs in the state of Pennsylvania. Florence Crittenton, as you mentioned, um, has been around for since in the late 60s and originally was designed for um, adolescents who became pregnant, would go away for a period of time during their pregnancy and then return home. Um, now it is a what we would call a fee-for-service program. So it has a maternity and a mother-baby program. And so we get uh, pregnant adolescents in their second and third trimesters. Um, ironically, or not so ironically, you know, they really they don't have a lot of prenatal care. So we want to make sure that, that it's a healthy pregnancy. Um, and then the second part of that is our mother-baby program. And the mother-baby program is designed to really assess. We have a psychiatrist, uh, Dr. Marion Elba, who actually does a nurturing assessment. And, really, you know, can't a 14-year-old, you know, really nurture and care for a baby. But she's going to decide what's going to be the best disposition for that, what's going to be the best environment. One of the things that we're seeing in that program is, we're seeing more and more grandparents raising their kids. We're seeing more and more their kids' kids. We're seeing more and more grandparents that are raising their grandkids. And um, you serve how many individuals in a community? Uh, on an annual basis, 
you know, anywhere from 2,700 to 3,000, and that's everything. I want everybody to understand program, how a large From is, the charter yeah. school, we have community-based programs. We have a contract with the county intensive juvenile delinquency program, and those are case managers in schools that work with kids. And, and the goal there is try to keep them, kids that may be on the fence, as it were, as getting into the system, the child welfare or the juvenile probation, juvenile justice system. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to work with them to keep them out of the system, to keep them so they'll never get open with the system. We have a court diversion program. We have a program where kids go to court and they are typically ordered or deferred or ordered to a facility or a program, but then they come to us on a weekend and we use our 1511 Peachtree building for that program. And programming is Friday after school, Saturday all day, Sunday all day, and then they live at home and go to their home school. And then their case managed through the course of the week. And the benefit of that, it's twofold. Number one, they're staying in the community, and we're working with them and their families and trying to keep them in school. And it's about a third of the cost or so less than expensive residential care. So and we've been operating that program since 1996. Actually started in a school, started at Strong Vincent, because um, the Erie School District is one of the partners, and oh, yeah. we actually operate the program on the weekend. And then ultimately, we moved from we were on West Twenty Sixth Street. We moved our central office to Peach Street. Mm-hmm. We then now operate that program. So during the day, the charter school we have our leadership site, which which Nick will explain there. Mm-hmm. And then on the weekend, we have the collaborative intensive and how many um, program. I call them students. You know, you you laugh when I do that, but that's what they are. They are sure we're uh, educating them. Um, how many students are you responsible for? I thought it was about 500, 400. Well, at, on any, at any given time? Uh, in the given... special program for the 18, say, 24-year-olds or whatever age. Well, we can serve up to age 21. 21. Um, you know, in the charter school, there's up to 600 kids that we could serve, students okay. that we could serve. Um, yeah. But on any on any given day, on the Percy's house side, we yeah. could have yeah. you know five six hundred kids in a, in a that we would be have contact with. Or now I came to Percy's house in 1994. Yeah. My the vision was that I would not necessarily replicate what somebody was doing in the community. If there are other there's a lot of human service agencies in the Erie community, and um, we took a look at it from a needs point of view. You know what was the needs of the community and what was the needs in terms of residential care. My own experience is I, I, I worked at Harbor Creek Youth Services for 12 years. Yes. I, I'm a LSW in the state of Pennsylvania, um, so I've had a private practice. Um, I worked in uh, a school-based program, so I've had a breadth of experience. So I knew, that I understood those programs and how they operated. So as we started developing programs, it was really about not replicating what somebody was doing well, but how do we meet that need in the community that may not be being Steve met. would have been proud of you. Uh, Steve, I got to know Steve yeah, a little I did bit, too. and Steve really had Steve. I mean, Steve had an idea. I mean, Steve had a lot of guts. Steve had a lot of courage. I mean, he did. Steve did what he did without knowing at all whether or not it would work. And he, and he was a very caring individual. Oh yeah, he, he was, went out of his way for, for these young yeah, people. Yeah, so it was his yeah. idea, you yeah. know. And so and so we grew. When I came to Purchase House, just to give you a scope, I um, there were thirty six residential beds. The budget was about a uh, million dollars, and there were sixty employees. Now between the charter school. Perseus House is about 12 million, the charter school is about seven and a half, so close to 20 million. And we have about 555, 60 full and part Well, let's staff. think about this. Uh, so, folks who are living here understand this is $20 million right. being yes. on something to help improve and protect our community and to advance these human beings. And different levels, right? At different because levels. At the yeah. deepest end, 
Yeah. Our, we have two enhanced residential programs, yeah. one six-bed, one for male, which is in the 26th Street facility, yeah. one for females. And um, so that's that's the most expensive, you know, 24 yeah. hours a day, therapy every day, individual therapy, group therapy, family therapy yeah. every week, you know, versus intensive juvenile delinquency, which is more school-based contact. Where, where does that money come from? I know it's a biting question. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe it I, isn't. No, it's a good question. Um, obviously, on the school side, and Nick will explain this more, it, sure. the money follows the student. So wherever that student comes. One oh. important fact, though, is that we have to live within the confines of our budget. We're not a taxing entity. So if districts come in at an unbalanced budget, they could raise millage. I know boards don't like to do that. Right. But that we have to live within the confines of our budget. budget. On the Perseus House side, uh, it's Title IV-E, it's federal dollars. So oh. it's federal dollars that the, that the state pulls down, that the counties budget. Mm. They have a needs-based assessment budget process that they go through. Um, and then uh, the, the other programs are, um, uh, you know, funded per, per service, uh, yeah. which, is, which primarily, is, primarily is federal dollars. There's some, some state dollars, some state match, some very little county match. But for all intensive purposes, it's federal dollars. And do you fundraise? Do you get to fundraise? We do fundraise. Do you? You know, mm -hmm. we, we certainly haven't done as much as we've done in the past, and you're certainly aware of that. Yep. Well, one of the problems was the return on that investment, that re the return on um, the amount of dollars uh, that would come in um, has really been very, very challenging. It's a lot of energy and, and a lot of effort. And we could start another radio program or, or, and go no hours explaining job. that. But we do. We yeah. do. And even the charter school has received um, earned income tax credit. You know? Oh, um, good. Yeah. Um, uh, and while we're on that topic, I'm going to let you introduce Nick. Yeah, Nick, Nick Viglione yeah. um, is um, uh, the CEO, as you mentioned, of yep. the Charter School of Excellence. Nick has very similar experiences as I do. Mm -hmm. um, worked in a residential, came to us um, uh, working at Wilson Middle School as oh. a case manager and worked with students on the bubble, as it were, um, at Wilson Middle School, but yeah. also supervise our alternative programs. So Nick has, has a breadth of experiences. And Nick, welcome. I think that if you expand on what Mark previously mentioned, the, the charter school really is in, in collaboration with the spirit, the philosophies that of Perseus House. And, you know, I guess maybe let me start from the beginning um, and do a quick walkthrough sure. to get to current. So I, I started Perseus House in 1998 and, as Mark mentioned, started off as a case manager, behavior specialist at a, at, at uh, as Percy's has contracted with Erie, then moved into alternative education. And around 2002, the city of Erie School District was really finding that there were kids that were just not getting their, their needs met. And the evidence of that was the number of students that enrolled in ninth grade compared to the outcome of that same population in 12th grade. And there was just a big gap of kids that you know, just were not uh, finding the right fit. Uh, and what we had experienced running alternative education is a different way to connect with those those, those kids and meet their academic needs. Uh, in addition, though, meet their social-emotional needs. And there's where the, 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 the big twist 
comes in, so to speak, that, you know, the kids really wanted to stay with us, but alternative ed was a short-term stay. So it, it, that's where really the, the concept of the charter school came. So mm -hmm. Mark and Perseus House, uh, uh, in collaboration with the city of Erie, had this thought of, okay, well, can there be a different type of school? Not a, not a school that's for behaviorally challenged kids, but a school that just has a different fit and a different feel, something that's non-traditional. Going back to what Mark said, there's mm -hmm. no intention to replicate um, a, a system that's already in existence. So what could we do that's different? And that's where the Charter School of Excellence originated from in 2003. Explain the ambiance. This is where I sure. wish we were doing a television program. It's totally different than so, anything I've ever seen. Thank you, because that's really the goal. The, yeah. the goal is to create an academic environment, safe, small learning environment where kids can, you know, express themselves, be who they are. And also the, the big difference is the, the way that our instructional strategies are directed, um, meaning that we have a lot of kids that come to us that are behind academically for whatever reason. Lots of great kids, by the way. Um, just because they're behind academically, I, I don't want your listeners to equate that with negative behaviors or, or, or negative in any way. There's a lot of very good kids. However, 23% of our kids are English learners, so they are refugees that come in to the States. And there's a, a rationale as to why one would be behind academically. Some of our kids prior to coming to Erie as, a, you know, as one of the resettlement zones really had limited educational experiences. Um, I hear some didn't even speak English. We have many students that, that, that do not speak English um, or very limited English. Limited, yeah. So you're managing them from ground zero. We, we, we do. Yeah. We do. We, we, yeah. we absolutely do. Our teachers and the, our whole environment is really geared towards acquiescing to being a prescriptive approach to kids. And that's, I believe oh, that's one of, the, one of the mainstays of, of what we yeah. do that I certainly feel good about working in an environment where... The focus is really on students and... Uh, How did you design it? Now, you have a huge, I may be wrong, cooking facility? Am I... So, or a, a huge cafeteria facility? No, we do. Um, uh, at our skill center location. That's our that's our high, one of our high school locations. That's at Level Place on 13th and French. Yeah. And quite honestly, it, it, that, that concept really derived from conversations with uh, Mark and our previous... Uh, um, associate executive director who who really had this idea of well can't we do something that would enhance the skill sets of our kids and uh, bring them into the mix it's huge this is a huge facility yeah and so what that ended up turning into tom was we uh, we created a an environment that allows kids high interest electives that's really the focus we're not a vocational school so it's all it's all electives like you would find in traditional schools but what we've chosen to do is use culinary as a vehicle to teach kids soft skill development and there really is the silver lining yeah. in the concept isn't that clever because you, you want people to be learning math english foreign students becoming ac what better way? You have to count. You have to become a logistician. You have to understand uh, 
ordering stock, cooking food. Absolutely. Uh, being polite to a customer. All of those interpersonal skills yeah. that, you know, and we worked with Mercyhurst University oh. early on, mm -hmm. and they did a study in the community and um, interviewed and surveyed over 40 hospitality facilities, restaurants, yeah. uh, hotels, that those sorts. And, you know, hands down, the biggest response from local employers was that we can teach kids the skills that we need them, the tasks that we need them to know. To know. What we don't want to teach is work ethic and so those soft skill development. So our whole focus at skills with that culinary right. program yeah. is really how to be a good worker, how to come to school on time, how to come to work on time, yeah. you know, how to call off, how to deal with disgruntled uh, Customers. Um, customers how to deal with other employees how to deal with each other yeah and you yeah. know so th that's the focus of our and how and large we, is this well uh, we, we let me just back up a second sure we, yeah and Nick can explain the numbers we we've been we have a work experience program on the Percy South side that we've done for tw we've for years. engaged yeah. for probably 20 years and wow. you know they um Clients have to go through the interview process, and then they're pulled out of school, and they work for a full day on projects around the, the agency. And one of the uh, Phil Treadway, uh, who was a, was a great board member, um, Irimoto Plastics, would mm -hmm. say to us, "Hey, I'm not. I, I'm going to have to hire somebody." on a mold injection machine, on a plastic injection machine. I don't have to train them how to do that. What I don't want to train them is, just as you were saying, how do you show up to work on time? How do you communicate within a team? How do you, if you're sick, you call in not, not two minutes before you show up for work. How do, you, how do you engage in those soft skills? So we put together a curriculum that taught not only those soft skills, but working on, on the job. We have a worksite supervisor that we budget for. And um, every student really? that every client that come in has the opportunity to engage in that program. So very similar to what we do on on the charter school side. The nice thing is that we actually can push kids out in the community. We really don't do that on the Perseus outside because they are residential. Oh, okay. But we have forty community partners. Absolutely on your side on the charter, charter school, school side. side. So where did the money come for all that uh, geography? You tell everybody where you are. By the way, the charter school. Charter school. We have two locations yeah um, I, we have a middle school which is the discovery center serves students in grades six through eight and we also have the skills center which is a high school serving students in grades are nine to same 12. Place? those are both located at level place level correct place, yeah, uh, right. 13th and french and then we have a, a third site location which is another high school location oh. serving grades nine through 12 students and that's at 1511 peach the, uh, where our central office is located yeah. that Mark had previously spoke about. Yeah. And altogether... Uh, well, who designed we, we all that for you? Did you guys do this based on your experience dealing with students, or did you have an outside party? Yeah, we had there is an ambiance to this thing. That, yeah, we had uh, an architect come in, and yeah. we, wanted, we wanted the from the overarching assumption was that it couldn't look like a regular school to start with. And there's a reason for that. Right? Well, because kids traditionally have not done well. These are these are students that have not traditionally These done well. These particular students need a different environment yeah, to be able to be successful. If you yeah. walk through Lovell Place, which I believe you've been through, oh, many times, it's an open air facility. Yeah. Uh, we have some closed classrooms, but yeah. it's open air, and you know, so and, and the, the top the, the and the top there is more business. It seems like there's more things to do. Business I mean, it's college feel is what yeah, the environment is trying to replicate. Yeah. You have art, you have, but you still have the traditional skills. Absolutely, sets, right? we certainly do. We have yeah. many kids that 
are taking dual enrollment courses as an example. We have, Which is? Uh, that's where students can take college credits while they're in high school. Oh, wow. So we have kids that go to Gannon. Well, Edinburgh University comes and we work with them. They provide a class on site for us. Uh, so kids are, right now, the, the, the class that's being taught at the Skills Center is on sports ethics. So that's, wow. the, that's the college that, course that our kids are getting yeah. credit. Um, but you and, ask about funding. You ask yeah, about yeah, funding. Yeah. And in most districts, the parent would pay for that dual enrollment class, for that college class. class. Oh, wow. We budget it. You know, as long as students get a C, um, then they, you know, they, we, we pay for it. So we budget oh. it. We put it in the budget because we have a sense of how many students are going to enroll, put are going to get into dual enrollment. Yeah. So and the charter school, how's that funded? Is that all under your umbrella? No, it's separate. So, so it's two separate. If you think of uh, Perseus House, as Mark mentioned, the Perseus House, Inc., with more of the the delinquency and the residential and the, the preventative mm -hmm. um, courses in schools and, and applications. And then you think of the other half of the, uh, the branch is the charter school. So there's two separate boards, two separate funding streams, and um, very early, it was clear from Pennsylvania Department of Education that monies could not be commingled. You know, monies had to oh, be okay. could, monies yeah. could not be commingled. So, and, and that's good because then you sure. can justify how you're spending the money, and you can very also clear. measure your outcomes. And then, very clear. And uh, I think the community should get a little more of an overview of what you guys do because you're solving a huge problem. You hear people complain about dropouts, school dropouts, crime, drugs, and of course you have the cocaine and the other addictions that are permeating the community. You must see a lot of this then. Maybe. We do, we do. Yeah. I mean, opiate addiction kind Opiates of wa waves itself, weaves itself into many, many relationships. Yeah. And so we have, on the on the residential side, we have, Pennsylvania's mandated to do student assistance programming in school, meaning that they are mandated, schools are mandated to provide drug and alcohol and mental health assessment. So Percy's House is not a drug and alcohol provider. Uh, we are a mental health provider, right. delinquency yeah. provider. Yeah. So we actually, we have, um, we purchased a parochial school on the east side and that's where our residential kids go to school. And there, there are, uh, we have Pyramid Healthcare, we've had a relationship for a long time, so they'll go in and do drug and alcohol assessment. And on the school side, on the charter school side. Yeah, it's a, a very similar where we, work with outside providers to provide any services that our students may need um, and we certainly adhere to the state mandate of the student assistance program which is intended to support kids with with those sorts of needs and um, you know our, our data shows that our kids are accessing services when needed and moving themselves forward we only have about five minutes left, but let me ask uh, Mark first. Mark, what's, what do you see the outcome to all the work you've put in over more than two decades and all the hard work you personally put into it? What, well, what's, what's the outcome and where do you see all this going? And of course, you're responsive to the community, so there's a lot of things you are going to face in sure. the future that are brand new problems. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah there there's sure are. Oh, wow, yeah. I, I, I think that if we, you know, very generally, um, as a kid walks through the door, and it's multi-problematic. You know, 20, 30 years ago, there might have been one or two problems. Now it's so layered. There's so many trauma experiences that kids are having right now. And so I think that if we can reduce um, uh, the, those kinds of reactions that they have within their interpersonal relationships 
And if we can't help them heal from those traumatic experiences, they're going to they're gonna move into adulthood in a much better place. Um, we use the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. Felitti, Dr. Felitti and the CDC looked at um, impact of trauma over the lifespan. And they wanted to see if someone had experienced these traumas, whether it be physical, sexual, emotional, whatever it was, um, what would that, what would, what would impact um, their physical health? And what they found out was in the initial study, there's a calculator, you score up to 10. Have you ever been abused? Anyone in your family been exposed to alcoholism? One, right? There's mm-hmm. 10 questions, so up to 10. Wow. If you scored four or more, you died 10 years earlier than your cohort group. Recently, they just redid the study. If average. you score, and that is an average. Yeah. And if you score six or more, you die 20 years more than your cohort group. Wow. So, so when you say ultimately, what are we trying to do? We're certainly trying to make it better in terms of from when they walked in the door. Ultimately, we may be putting years on their lives. What, what better work could there be to do? Uh, plus, you're solving a huge societal problem. Uh, we hope. Hopefully. We hope. We yeah, hope it has a trying. ripple effect. Yeah. No doubt about yeah, it. Yeah. And then you move over to the charter school and your objectives. How? So our objectives are to... How are you meeting those objectives? We're meeting the needs of the students that just simply don't fit well in, the, in their previous environment. And that's not criticizing not our other... Abs- I think, I'm glad our, you said our that. Our other educational facilities are excellent. You're not, they are excellent. You're not competing. We're not. And I think no. that's a... I'm glad you brought you're that up. You're solving a problem. We're just an, another oh, opportunity yeah. for kids. And yeah. that's not a negative... T- any other no, entity. No. It's, uh, I use the analogy of no. uh, somebody going to look for employment. When you go for an interview, not only do you want the company to like you, but you also have to like the company. And, right. you know, that's if you use that analogy, that's really what we're so up you're, to. So you're, uh, you're not competing. You're helping the education system. We're helping system the education in system, this and we're finding success. We've graduated over 900 <sighs> students that, quite frankly, may have struggled elsewhere. Um, we certainly are meeting the goals and expectations from our families. They're choosing to send their kids to us. And I think the, the long-term goal is when kids graduate from us, we want them to be productive members of the community and contribute. Mm-hmm. Plus, and you're absorbing uh, folks that have come from other countries. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a they community. Become, they're here. Yeah. They and, need to be participating. And, and we're providing jobs. I mean, we and provide. We, oh, that's right. We, we're How many fr- employees do you well, have? Well, uh, up to around 554 and part time. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. everybody on that's both everybody. sides. That's everybody. Yeah, that's a lot but of But we're still yeah. providing health insurance and benefits and yeah. short long term disability. So, yeah. And you have to be, uh, you have to have certain qualifications to work. You sure person. do. You can't yeah. just walk in. You sure do. You, uh, you have to have the ability to work with. So that the credentialing, the education, and you provide that training as well sometimes? We do. We do. Yeah. We're, we provide aggression replacement <sighs> training. We're, we're a national yeah. training site for life-based crisis intervention, which is a training for staff. Yeah. How, do you, how do you intervene? So yeah. we do. We do train staff. Uh, uh, um, a minute left, so I'm going to say thank you both. Uh, thank you. It's an inspiration. I'm gonna, you, you cover – I don't think people understand your footprint. It's a, it's, a, it's a Venn diagram. It's a pyramid chart that has – thousands of people involved and you're solving a huge problem so we're going to have you back <laughs> the well, easiest way is to invite you yeah. back if that's and okay. if we could also just mention our yeah. websites are full that's what of say. How, do, so. how, how do you find each of you yeah perseushouse.org literally p-e-r-s-e-u-s house house.org and, and there's a link to the charter school or you can uh, look us up at charter school of excellence 
org. And that's a brand name for you. That's and, correct. Uh, it's it's well you are well named. Mark Amadola, Executive Director of Percy Sells, thank you very much. You. And Dr. Nick Viglione, Chief Educational Officer as Mark called you CEO. <laughs> You're the boss. Um, uh, I'm Nick. This and is doing Nick. Our, and, uh, doing what we do. Yeah, and I and I would uh, one last question. If someone did want to come by, whether it be they an educator, a lawyer, four eight oh four eight oh five nine zero zero. That's cool. the central number, yeah. and all they got to do is ask for ask for me or Nick, yeah. and we'd be happy to. We'd love. And, and to it's a very secure for, environment, so I know folks have to qualify. How they come, when they come, sure. and what they're going to we see. We are more than but, happy to give. But that protects the, the children. Because yeah. yeah. as you said, once you go in there and really see what we're yeah, up it's to, it's not a walk-in environment for good reason. Yeah, right. But exactly. yeah, so but, call. But we give tours, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, and all that, and that could be anyone from uh, a banking officer to just a concerned citizen absolutely. or whoever has a child interest. in need. Right. Absolutely. Correct. Thank, thank you, Bob. Thank you yeah. Thanks, Tom. You guys are great. Thank you.